Our speaker today is Nate Wilson, Pastor Chuck Wilson's son. Uh, I titled this sermon Absalom's Kryptonite. I will be we'll be reading from Second Samuel eighteen. Uh, where I'm I'm throwing us right into a text of, in Second Samuel eighteen. We're going right into this uh, a big narrative. And in order to help us understand where we're going and to get the context of this passage. So in order to do that, uh, Andrew, if you don't know, he's the 12th child of Chuck and Kim. And uh, just picture one day Andrew decides at, at, the end of, at the end of church, he walks out into the, into the lobby. And you know how usually my dad is over by the glass doors talking to everyone? Well, just picture Andrew goes out this one time. And I'm going to call my dad Chuck just for the sake of this analogy. And just picture Andrew goes out into the lobby and he just starts slandering my dad. He just starts slandering Chuck. He's like, he's the worst dad ever. And he's even a worse pastor. He can't do anything right. And we're all hearing this and we're like, yeah, he's actually right. This is so true. And we all flock to Andrew to hear him speak. And we're like, Andrew, you are so smart. You should be the pastor. And then like... Uh, next Sunday rolls around and, and more people are listening to him and he's like Chuck is the worst pastor everyone knows Kim does everything anyway he's like I would be such a better pastor and and we're all like yeah Andrew you're so right and then Andrew gets such a big following that my dad is like alright I gotta do something about this so Chuck and Andrew meet and they talk and, and Chuck's like Andrew you gotta stop like you're, you're causing all these problems and Andrew's like, I'm never going to stop. I'm going to be the pastor of this church. And they can't seem to come to an agreement, so they split up. And they and one Sunday, they decide, Andrew decides, we're going to have a huge battle right here in the school auditorium, and the winner gets to be the pastor. It's a fight to the death. Winner takes all. And this sounds preposterous and weird, but it's exactly what's going on in Israel at, at this time of 2 Samuel 18, and we'll see. There's a civil war in Israel going on. It's a battle between a father versus son. It's King David, the giant slayer on one side. And on the other side, we have David's son, Absalom. And our focus is going to be primarily on on Absalom. We're going to read this chapter from his perspective. And it's interesting. He doesn't even say anything but in this whole chapter. But the whole narrative is centered around him. So who exactly is Absalom then? Well... The one thing we know first is that he's David's son. Uh, I already said that. And he's the heir to the throne. He's next in line to be king. And the second thing we know about Absalom is he's a celebrity. Everyone loves him. He's a really likable guy. All of Israel, we, we read that all of Israel just clings to him. And if you haven't figured it out by now, a- Absalom was Andrew in the story. And, and you'll see why. But anyway, Absalom's a celebrity. And we read... In 2 Samuel 14, 25 to 26, that he's really attractive and he's appealing. And that's what draws everyone to him. And it's in this passage says, In all of Israel there is not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. So we see he's so attractive, no one sees anything wrong in this guy, and he's got a great set of hair. It's really long, and every guy sees it, and they're like, man, I wish I had Absalom's hair. And we learn another thing about Absalom, and we're also going to see, not only is he attractive, but he's very charismatic. He has great charm. And in 2 Samuel 15, verses 1 to 6, I'll read those. And the text says, 
In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses with 50 men to run ahead of him. So he's going through Israel, and he, has, he rides on this chariot, and he has 50 men go ahead of him. He's, he's parading through Israel, and he's getting this following. He knows how to grab people's attention. And not only that, but he's persuasive. And we see that in verses 2 through 6, and I'll read those. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road, leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land. Then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. So you see what he's doing? He's convincing Israel that David is the villain. David's the bad guy, and Absalom is the guy who's going to save Israel from their troubles. And this is the third thing we see. Not only is he David's son, he's also a celebrity, but we also see he has a thirst for glory. He wants the throne and he wants praise from others. And essentially, he wants what David has. And now we finally arrive at our text. We see what's going on. It's going to be a civil war. It's Absalom versus David. Only one will win. And currently, as we jump into our text, David is currently planning an attack on Absalom to try and defeat him so that he can reclaim and reestablish his throne. So we're going to read now Second Samuel 18, verses 1 through 5. And this is what it says. David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent out his troops, a third under the command of Joab, a third under uh, Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zariah, and a third under Ittai the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. But the men said, you must not go out. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care, but you are worth 10,000 of us. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city. The king answered, I will do whatever seems best to you. So the king stood beside the gate while all his men marched out in units of hundreds and of thousands. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. So we see David's prepping the battle. He's getting ready to go out and he says, I'm going to go fight with you guys. And all the soldiers are like, no, 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 no. Because if you die, that just means Absalom's going to be king. You sit out. That way, if we lose, at least you'll still be alive and you can flee and somehow manage to reestablish your throne. And then David says, okay, I'll sit out. And then he gives a command right before his, his army goes out. And he says, whatever you do, at all costs, just try and keep Absalom alive. You know, I'm his father. He's my son. Whatever you do, try and keep him alive. And now we finally reach the battle. And that's in 2 Samuel 18, verses 6 to 8, and I will read that. And it says, David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. There Israel's troops were routed by David's men, and the casualties that that day were great, 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest swallowed up more more men that day than the sword. So we see the battle. David's army wins. They defeat Absalom's army, and Israel is... is, um, spread out, they're spread thin, they lose 20,000 men because they're fighting each other. 
They're only losing their own troops. But what exactly happens to Absalom? Well, we're we're about to find out in verses 9. In verse 9 to 18. I'm only going to read verses 9 and 10, then I'm going to jump down to 14. But here's what verse 9 and 10 say. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair while his mule he was riding kept on going. When one of the men saw what had happened, he told Joab, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Now we're going to go down to verse 14. So Joab took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart. While Absalom was still alive in the oak tree, and ten of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him and killed him. Then Joab sounded the trumpet, and the troops stopped pursuing Israel. For Joab halted them. They took Absalom, threw him into a big pit in the forest, and piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their homes. During his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself. For he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself, and it's called Absalom's Monument to this day. So, we see Absalom's hair. He's riding on his his horse through through the forest, and as he's going, he, he, he... hits his head on some branches and his hair gets tangled into the in the branches. And as we remember, what did we say? His hair was really long and everybody wanted his hair. And that, that that's what happened. And then we also see Joab's complete disobedience to David's command. David command David's command is just try and keep Absalom alive at all costs. And what does Joab do? He just sees him hanging in a tree and stabs him with a spear. He has no no regard for what David commanded. But we also see something more. And this is what I really want to get at today. There's so much irony in the death of Absalom. There's so much irony. The exact thing that brought him so much praise from others and, and made him so highly, uh, viewed so highly by others was his exact demise. There's so much irony. Like, who, how does some, like, have you ever seen anybody get their hair caught in a tree? It just doesn't happen, ever. Like, that just doesn't happen. And that's exactly what happened to him. There's so much irony. And I think it's really God's humbling of Absalom. And this is what we see. Absalom used the gifts that God gave him to exalt himself. He used his appearance and charisma to bring himself glory and praise. And ultimately, as a result, the exact things that brought Absalom glory ended up being his demise. And this is the point we see all throughout the books of Samuel. And it's that God delights in the humble and opposes the proud. He lifts up the humble and he brings low the prideful. And it's so clear with Absalom. He was so prideful. And we see it with the monument he built. He, he actually had three sons, but they all die. And he says, I have no sons. I'm going to build this monument to my name. And he builds this mon- monument so he'll be remembered and be praised by others. And his whole thirst for glory, his whole thirst for the, for the throne, it wasn't just for power, it was for praise and honor among others. The, ki- the kingship was his if only he waited. It, he was the heir to the throne. Instead, he, he, he wanted it now and he wouldn't wait. And he went for it and he lost it. And we see this play out all throughout Samuel. They all, the whole book of Samuel points towards humility towards God. It, it's about humility before God. And it, we... we we see this all the way at the beginning in, in, in the first, very first story in the book of Samuel. We see Elkanah, and he has two wives. The first is Hannah, and the other Penina. 
And Penina has many kids. And Hannah is barren and she cannot have any and she desperately wants them. And Penina is real, really arrogant about it. And all, every time she sees Hannah, she's like, oh my gosh, you can't have any kids. That's so embarrassing. And Hannah was so distraught over it. And she prays to God desperately. And she asks, she says, God, please give me a son. And he grants her a request. And she's been given the son of Samuel. And many sons after that. And many children. And we see that Hannah is being exalted and Penina is being humbled. And Hannah sings a song, and it, it settles, it, it brings out the theme of throughout all the books of Samuel. And this is what the song says in 1 Samuel 2, 7 and 9. She says, The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. And it's not just Hannah we see being exalted, but it's also Samuel over Eli's sons. If you know Hophni and Phinehas, Samuel, who's not even of the priestly line, is exalted as a priest. Meanwhile, the wicked sons of Eli are being humbled because they abuse the priestly line and they use it for their own gain. And God says, I'm taking it, I'm stripping it from you, and I'm giving it to Samuel. And then when Samuel goes to anoint a king, he goes to Jesse's house and he has 12 sons, and he sees Eliab. And he says, surely, surely this is the king. And God says, Samuel, no, 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 no. He says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. And we see Eliab's heart was not right, but David's was. He, God exalts David to the throne, the humble shepherd boy, and he humbles Eliab. And then we see it again with David. And we all know this story. David and Goliath, we see the, the small shepherd boy with the sling against the giant Philistine with a sword. And in battle, David depends on God, and God exalts David, and he humbles Goliath. And we see this irony of God opposing the proud. Remember what I said? God delights in the humble, and he opposes the proud. And we see this opposition with Abathar. He's a priest. He's the, he's the wisest man in all of Israel. He consult, David consults him all the time for decisions. He's so wise, and he eventually disobeys David and he disobeys God and he goes his own way and he exalts himself. And in his wisdom, he sins and he chooses that the best course of action for his life is to kill himself. Do you see the irony in that? The wisest man of all of Israel commits suicide. And then finally we arrive at Absalom. He was so prideful and arrogant. He used God's gifts, everything God gave him, his appearance, his status, to exalt himself. And God uses the exact thing that brought him glory, which was his hair. And he humbles him. He brings him low. There's so much irony in these, in these stories. And then we finally get to what the whole book of Samuel is all about. And it's about humility before God. And it, it characterizes humility before God in two ways. And that is the humble person recognizes God's gifts. That's the very first point. The humble person recognizes God's gifts. And this is exactly where Absalom failed. He thought everything he had was from himself. He thought his status, status, appearance, charisma, and influence were all of his own doing. In reality, he failed to realize that they were gifts from God. And that's what I want to ask all of us today is, do you recognize that everything given to you is from God? Your friends, your family, your wealth, talents, skills your intelligence, your job, 
your influence and successes, they are all from God. And we must be thankful and humble for these things. And they can be stripped away in an instance. And I think of the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you don't know the story, it's really good. It's in Daniel chapter 4. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, and he goes out before his empire. And he says, look at everything I've done for these people. He says, look at this great kingdom I've created for these people. He says, I've done all of this. It's my own doing. It's my own work. And as he's saying these things, a voice comes from heaven, and Nebuchadnezzar's tongue just swells up, and he can't talk. And the voice says, your authority is being taken away from you. He says, you have not recognized that everything you have is from God, and I'm stripping it away. And Nebuchadnezzar, this is really interesting, he, he literally just lead, he walks out of his kingdom and he can't talk. God kept him silent, and he, he sends him with this disorder. He strikes him with this disorder, and he goes out into the fields. And he goes on his hands and knees, and he starts eating grass, like the cows. And he does this for seven years. He's on his hands and knees just eating like cattle from the, the ground. And after seven years passes, he finally can talk again. And he gets on his knees and he throws his arms in the air and he says, Glory to God in the highest. He says, Everything I have is from God. And he says, It's not my own doing. And he finally realized, he humbled himself before God and realized that everything that he had was from God. And everything we have is a gift from God. And we need to be humble and thankful. And we need to recognize that everything we have is a gift from God. And he gives us a greater gift, and that's the gift of salvation, and that's what cannot be stripped away from us. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Do you know that everything that is given to us is from God? And we all know that true humility begins at salvation. It's exalting God and humbling ourselves. We need to be constantly recognizing that everything we have from our friends to our family to our talents and skills and even our successes, it's all from God. And then there's a second point. There's the books of Samuel. Um, they describe the humble person as someone who exalts God rather than himself. And we see Absalom also failed here because what was his goal? What was his aim in life? It was to receive honor and praise from others. He desired the kingship, but in reality, he really desired glory, power, and praise. And we see that with the monument he builds. In 2 Samuel 18, 18, he builds a monument to himself. And all he wanted was to be, honestly, worshipped by others. He wanted the praise from other people. And then we, conversely, we have Hannah, who's characterized as the humble person. And after she gives birth to Samuel, she exalts God rather than herself. She realized that her son was a gift from God, and as a result, she gave him praise. And she sings this song that I, re I referenced earlier, and I'm going to reference it again in 1 Samuel 2, 1-2, and it says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn, my strength is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. She instantly gives God praise for everything that's been given to her. She exalts God and she humbles herself. That's another thing I want to ask us. Are we using the gifts God gives us to glorify him or glorify ourselves? 
We should be using our talents, skills, and successes to magnify Christ and not ourselves. We should live in a way that brings honor and praise to God. And it's going to look different for everybody because we all have a variety of gifts and talents. And in 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that if you were to read it. There's all these different spiritual gifts that we're all given. We've all been blessed in different ways. And it takes wisdom and discernment to know how we exalt God, each in our own individual lives. But I just thought of a few, and I, I, the first person, I just thought of someone who might be blessed financially. Are they someone who, when they, they look at their money, they look at their house, their family, and their wealth, are they someone who says, I've earned all of this. It was my own work that got me here. I did this. Or are they someone who gives generously and they realize that everything is from God. The money I have, the house, it's all from God and I should be giving back. Or maybe you're an influential person and, and people look up to you, you have a lot of influence. And I just think of athletes here because they, they, a lot of people look to them. And is that person using that influence to exalt God or themselves? No, they're using their platform to say, look how great I am at whatever I'm doing. Or are they saying, it's all because of God. And I thought of someone who's really smart and they're brilliant and they know a lot. And it's are they using that knowledge to exalt God or puff themselves up? You know, do, when they, when are they using that knowledge to exalt God and, and glorify Him and magnify Him, or are they they using it to boast in themselves, say how smart I am, or how wealthy I am, or how? great at sports or how influential I am. And there's this one passage in 1 Corinthians one i I'm just going to read it. And it says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. All of our boasting, everything we should be doing, it should be towards God and not of ourselves. We need to humble ourselves before God and recognize everything He's given us. And we need to use our life to magnify Him. I'm just going to quote John the Baptist here, and he says something really great. When he prepares the way for Jesus, he, he, he begins preaching, and he, he, he preaches repent and, and be baptized, and that's what he's doing. He's preparing the way for Jesus. And as he's doing this, he knows that Jesus is coming, and Jesus finally arrives, and John the Baptist got such a huge following, and they all left him, and they went to Jesus, rightfully so. And John the Baptist says something really great when he sees this happening. A few of the disciples, a few of his disciples that stayed with him, they were like, John, do you see what's going on? They're all going to Jesus. And he says, he must become greater. I must become less. Then he goes on to say, I must decrease so that he may increase. And that is how we should be living with our lives. It shouldn't be us magnifying ourselves, living for our own self-satisfaction, doing whatever we please, but we should be doing God's will and magnifying Him. I'm just going to end with this. There's this guy, and I think this is a really great analogy, and I really like it. And There's this guy, he has this dream, and in his dream he sees this man, and before him is a flight of stairs. And in his dream he sees this guy standing here, and at the top of the stairs there's this light, and he, he's glued, his eyes are glued to it. They're mad. He's just so fixated on this light. He can't, he can't keep his eyes off of it. He just keeps looking at it. And he walks up the stairs. And as he's walking, he, just can't, keep, he can't take his eyes off this light. And he gets to the top. And before him, it's the gates of heaven. 
and over the gates of heaven is Jesus and the gates open and he walks in and he, and he sees Jesus and, and the light was all from Jesus Christ and what he didn't know is that the stairs, and this is how the guy explains his dream, the stairs, they were actually people. And the people, they were, they were faceless. You, you looked at their face, they didn't have eyes, they didn't have a nose or mouth or eyebrows or hair, they were completely bald. They were faceless. And not only that, but their backs were bruised and their backs were broken from people walking up on them. And, and the analogy goes is the, those, those people who, who served as the steps, they were the people who humbled themselves and their lives pointed people towards God. Everything they did was exalting God and humbling themselves that you didn't even know who they were. They didn't have any faces. You couldn't recognize them. They were exalting God and they were humbling themselves. Everything they were doing was pointing towards God. They were leading people. Their witness was toward God and they, they didn't care about receiving any praise or attention. It was all for God. And that's the question I just want to leave you guys with today. Is who, when you live your life, who are you exalting? Is it yourself or God? Who are you living for? Are you doing your own will or God's will? Are you living to seek and satisfy yourself? Or are you seeking to satisfy God? Absalom was given so many gifts. And he used them to exalt himself. It was all about him, and, he, and God gave him all these things, and the irony is he stripped it all away. He used the exact things that exalted Absalom, and he used them to humble him. He says the only reason he received praise and attention was because God gave it to him. The only reason those were of any benefit to him is because God gave it to him. And he magnified himself rather than Christ. So we just need to ask ourselves, Daily, are we living to exalt God or ourselves? Let's pray. God, I thank you for everything you've given us and everything we've been blessed with. God, I pray that we recognize that everything given to us is from you. It's your gift. And that we receive it with thanks and praise and we honor you and we give praise to you for it. God, I pray we recognize how great and holy and righteous you are. You are without sin. And I pray that it humbles us in that we recognize we don't deserve anything we've been given, but it's all been from you, God. Even our very own salvation is from you. God, so I pray that we exalt your name among others and we give you praise in the privacy of our own lives. And we exalt your names and we exalt your name and we live for you in service. We serve others and we count others as greater than our own selves. I pray that your name is exalted and we, and we give praise and all of the every tongue confesses that you are Lord and we worship and praise you for all of our days. Amen.